Welcome into In This Corner with D. Brian Campbell. This is the Professional Wrestling Edition. Now me, I am handsome Nick Costos, and look, you know that I love putting myself over more than almost anything on the planet. I'm playing hurt today. The vocal cords are a little strained, but damn it, I am here to put forth a good show because you, dear listener, you deserve it, and also because I want you to tweet me and say, handsome Nick, what a great job by you. You stepped up to the plate. I want, I need you to pat me on the back. I need the affirmation. I need the reassurance. I need you to tell me what a good job I'm doing because ultimately it's not about you it's about me and you can follow me on Instagram at the Costos T-H-E-K-O-S-T-O-S and as always I am joined by my tag team partners first up he is the czar of all things Russia he is also the Nostradamus of this podcast he correctly predicted that Roman Reigns would beat the Miz for the Intercontinental Championship don't believe me? Just ask him. He's dying <laughs> to tell you. He is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey, now. And, of course, I am also joined by the man whose name is on the damn marquee. Come on. He is the icon. Let's go. He is the main event. Bring it. He is the showstopper. My man. He is the whole effing show. One time. He is the bod that runs the pod. Stay hyped. He is the mast that guides the cast. Here we go. Um, Before I give you the intro that you know his name, he is the Brian Campbell. I just want to say that I think it's hilarious that over the course of the six months that we've been doing this, we now have it in synchronization that your ad libs, Brian, are exactly the same every single time. They come on one time, my man, and it makes me laugh every single time after the fact. You know his name. He is the Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah. BC, tell them what's on the podcast. A lot of uh, pre-planned improvisations, Nick, but the fans just the same should do themselves a favor and get some of this after a wild weekend in Houston featuring NXT TakeOver, War Games, and Survivor Series. We return to address the fallout and answer your DM slides after running out of time the past few weeks. If you're looking for our reaction to said events over the weekend, be sure to download our instant analysis episode from Sunday night as the Silver King and I went downtown and, and, and went deep on these topics but also do us a favor, share your love for the show on Apple Podcasts by subscribing, rating, reviewing, and spreading that word like wildfire on social media using the hashtag in this corner. It's another gimmick-free show for you this week. All killer, no filler with a very simple equation. You bring the eardrums and the time, we will fill your hole with that lethal dose of performance-enhancing audio. So much under juice to be shared. And speaking of transferring fluids, let me pass the mic back to the most passionate man in North America, a man who has just one soft bone in his entire body. There's one part of our bodies that's soft, and it ain't soft all the time if you catch my meaning. Oh, many ladies have caught that meaning. It's handsome Nick Costos. By the way, are we now going with um, we will fill your hole? Like, is that actually like what we're going with here with the performance enhancing audio? I, I don't hate it. I'm just curious. Like, is that the official decision that we've made? Like, we're going to fill the hole. And of course, we're going to fill it with underjuice. That is a fantastic uh, intro. How did we get always. here? How did we get here? You know, I don't know. But but it's really listen, I'm pretty sophomoric and I laugh at that kind of stuff. So I'm into it. Uh, so I like that. The underjuice, the feel hole, all that good stuff. Um, I'm going to dispense with the uh, with the other crap because, honestly, I forget what it is. But the performance-enhancing audio is awesome, Brian Campbell, each and every week. I listened to the reaction pods. They were sensational. We killed the Survivor Series main event, and rightfully so. And I love NXT TakeOver, as you guys did. And as always, guys, 
You know how we begin each and every show. We do it with the main event. This is the main event. Silver King, Nostradamus. He is a soothsayer, a green seer. He looks into the future and he sees what's going to happen. He nailed it a few months ago. Roman Reigns would beat The Miz for the Intercontinental Champion. And for that, you should tweet him at Silverstein Adam and tell him just how great a job that was. Because believe me, he needs the affirmation even more than handsome Nick Costos does. Now, Roman Reigns, guys, did defeat The Miz for the IC belt in the main event of Raw. A lot to delve into here because I thought this was fascinating on many different levels. And, Bri, if you want to take it a different direction, please uh, feel free to. But for me, the most noteworthy part about what we saw on Raw as it concerns Reigns and The Miz was that Roman Reigns probably got 98% of a face reaction and was a massive baby face in that main event, despite the fact that the smart Houston crowd was going nuts for Miz at the beginning of the show during the Miz TV angle. So to me, extremely noteworthy there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and what was noteworthy as well is in that opening, uh, when in the mid-show Miz TV segment when they're yelling, Miz is awesome. And at that point, it was sort of like this weird dynamic where your top heel is getting baby face chairs and your top face is getting heel chairs. But they turned that around and this felt like a just a good feel-good moment. I think it somewhat saved the Raw show and making it you know memorable and fun in the end. They put the bow on it. But I think even more importantly, Nick, it sort of put the bow on the bad feeling that we had coming out of Sunday night's end to that traditional five-on-five men's Survivor Series match. It didn't patch up that storyline, so to speak, and we'll get into that storyline a little bit more in the show. It just goes back to that thing that Silver King and I talked about Sunday night. Sometimes the most... Most times, the most important thing you can do is send people home happy. It can fix a bad show, and when you don't do it, it can ruin a really good show. And Monday night, you saw this is how you end a show, with a good, feel-good moment. It felt good to see Roman Reigns finally win the IC belt, just a title that had eluded him because of how quickly he leaped up to that main event level. And seeing him with Miz... Gave me that tease, Nick, where I want to see these guys get a five, six-month program because of the potential. What I didn't see coming was the follow-up dirt sheet reports that The Miz is going to go film another Marine 5, Marine 6 movie for WWE. How many Marine movies have there been? Like, it's insane. Like, who watches this stuff? Like, it's crazy that they keep producing them. Well, the, the weird result of these is if you actually watch them in a B action movie 1980s HBO sort of way, they're actually watchable. But... They, but they're not obviously getting the love because of what they are. It's like a direct-to-DVD type of thing. But that's supposedly going to keep The Miz away, which might explain this. But just from a moment, from the feeling you get, this was one of those that just felt like a gimme to the fans. And I think you're right. I think it's surprising how much it did feel good and how much the fans suddenly went, wow, we love this moment and we love Roman. Yeah, and I sort of want to go around the horn here with all of us here and give our takes on that because, look, and we've been saying it for, for months, and you don't need us to tell you. It's fairly obvious if you pay attention to the product. The direction WWE is moving in is clearly Roman Reigns beating Brock Lesnar in the main event of WrestleMania 34. And, of course, you know WWE and Vince McMahon, they want that to be like the coronation for Reigns as the new face of the company where he's cheered like a baby face. And that moment has eluded them now for years. They wanted to do it in WrestleMania 31. They pulled the plug and Rollins as the cash-in, which was a great WrestleMania moment. They did it at WrestleMania 32 when he beat Triple H and no one really cared. They had the Reigns-Undertaker match at WrestleMania 33 and Reigns felt like 
a sidebar in that match because it was ultimately all about The Undertaker. Was it or was it not his final match? So now, obviously, they want that moment where Reigns beats Lesnar, the crowd goes nuts at the, uh, the Superdome in New Orleans, and you have the new face of the company. And it's been a major concern of everybody for a while now. Is Reigns going to get booed out of the building? Is it going to work? Now, I don't know if it's just because he's involved with Rollins and Ambrose and it's the Shield nostalgia guys, but I at least feel a little better now that the crowd might cheer Reigns even when the Shield inevitably breaks up and they all go single again. What's your take on that? How much of this do we attribute to the Shield and how much of it do we attribute to Roman Reigns actually finally getting over as a babyface? I think all of the above. I think it's all connected together to get us to this point. I think the Shield coming back together was a feel-good thing. You know, the storyline didn't make a lot of sense or not a lot of effort was put into the storyline, but it was one of those things where it almost didn't matter because people wanted it to happen so bad they wanted to buy the T-shirt, and that was a, you know, sneaky good idea by WWE to get us to this point. The interesting point you made in there was, you know, Reigns going over Lesnar to finally become the face of the company. You do have to ask yourself, how many times does he need to be in the main event of WrestleMania and go over to finally become said face of the company? Would you say right now, Nick, that John Cena is still the face of the company and that it would take one more Mania victory for Reigns to finally take that? I would say that Reigns is not... If there's if there's any crossover stars in WWE, it's Lesnar and Cena. Obviously, Reigns has the best potential of who's left to get to that, but he's not there yet. Would, would this finally get him there? No, I think, and here's the problem, and I tweeted this on Sunday night, and I regret not being able to be a part of the reaction pods. Football season just crazy for me, as many of the listeners know. But, like, this is the problem, right? WWE does, does such a poor job of making new stars. Like, look at the Survivor Series main events and the people that were left at the end of it. Like, you squash Finn Balor, more on him coming up in a little bit. Samoa Joe's eliminated early. Nakamura's treated like an afterthought. So you're left in a situation here where you don't have any crossover stars, and they keep having to go back to the well to Triple H and to Shane McMahon and to Kurt Angle, which, and there's there's nothing wrong with having those guys involved, but they can't be your lead stars in the year of our Lord 2017. I think that might be a separate issue for another time. And here's my thing. I honestly don't know as it concerns Roman Reigns. I don't know if it's because of the shield. I think it probably honestly, and maybe I'm being just a little cynical here. I think it probably is because of the shield involvement. I'm not convinced that if, and when the shield break up, that Roman Reigns, Silver King, is going to get the baby face cheers that he's been getting this last month or so because of Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins. I think it's more possible now than it has been in maybe the last two years. Roman Reigns really needed this. Like, he needed a legitimate, natural, not forced build into the main event picture again. And that was the biggest problem with what happened the first time around with him, is they took a guy and they go, Vince just decided, this is my guy. He's going to be the next WWE champion. We're giving him, he may not be ready for it on the mic. The fans may not totally be bought, bought into him yet but we're going to rush the build and we're going to put him in that position. This is the opposite. They took a massive step back. They gave him a couple losses. They let, let him get humbled by Braun Strowman a little bit. And now they are doing what they should have done the first time. And they're bringing him along. They skipped over this step. He has never been an intercontinental champion before. So now they're giving him this opportunity to move, to take this title. It's going to have it a few months, we think, and then move into WrestleMania. Guys, I wouldn't be surprised if WrestleMania winds up being universal versus intercontinental championship and the winner, you know, either gets both or I don't know what oh, exactly. a little WrestleMania six type feel like ultimate but warrior against Hulk Hogan. It wouldn't really shock me. And I also thought that this is just the, it's the perfect opportunity for him to be the head of the raw brand while Braun, 
not Braun Strowman, while Brock Lesnar takes another six weeks off, because God forbid he stays overnight in uh, Houston, Texas, and shows up on Monday Night Raw coming out of Survivor Series. You have Reigns is going to be the main title holder on Raw going forward. Miz is going to do this movie you guys are talking about. Maurice is going to pop soon. He's going to come back in the main event. He's not going to need a mid-card title anymore. He's going to be a main eventer when the Miz comes back. If you know, if not next week, whenever he eventually takes his uh, you know time off, I think this worked all around. Well, Nick, let's address the elephant in the room, which is our September 28th episode of this podcast, where you told Adam the IC belt would never go to Reigns, and now Adam has an opportunity to tell you. We're not the kind of guys to say we told you so, <laughs> but we told you so. Yeah, if you'll allow me here, like I get tweets from people and like I do more than just wrestling for CBS, obviously pick NFL games, college, and I talk about all sports. People will tweet me and be like, you get stuff wrong all the time. And you know what I say? No bleep. I, I make like 50 predictions a day. I don't even remember. I, I have no doubt that I said that to Silver King. I don't even remember saying it. I am wrong constantly. It's not my job to get predictions right. It's my job to be entertaining. I don't care if I get my predictions right. And oftentimes, here's, let me let all of you listeners in on a little secret, okay? Because like, like, we take you behind the curtain here, right? Like, Because ultimately on this show, and this is what, and look, we're going to do our feel spots later in the show, and it's going to be what we're thankful for about professional wrestling. And you know what I'm thankful for about pro wrestling? The fact that pro wrestling is an allegory for everything that goes on in everyday life. Everything in life, every single encounter that you have can be traced back somewhat to pro wrestling. You know what pro wrestling is? It's all about getting a reaction for people. What we do on this show is professional wrestling. What I do in front of a camera for CBS Sports is ultimately professional wrestling. And here's what, here's the peek inside behind the curtain. When I make a prediction, I can't lose. Here's why. Either I'm right and I get to say I was right and people tell me I was right or I'm wrong and people get fired up to tell me how wrong I was. Either way, I win. <laughs> there you go. It's pro wrestling, people. You wow. set yourselves up to win. I'm getting a reaction either way. So God bless you, Silver King. You were right. I was wrong. But guess what? <laughs> Ultimately, both of us win because of it. That's wow. true. And no, no better way to put it than that. They say Vince killed the business when he called it sports entertainment. Nick may have just killed this podcast showing behind the curtain there. I mean, look, I mean, look, this is how this is show business, right? This is how it goes. And I think that the listeners kind of groove on on stuff like that. So, so yeah. Let, let me ask you, let me bring this up now then. Do you agree, not just you, BC, everyone, that now that you've seen it transpire, you've seen what's happened, the way they did it, the way they booked it, do you agree this was the right move? 100%. I mean, no doubt. I mean, they got the moment where Reigns got... That's the biggest babyface reaction Roman Reigns has gotten, what, in four years? I mean, like, we have not seen Reigns get a pop like that in forever. I mean, he got, the, he got a, like, a babyface pop when he beat Triple H, but that was more of a, at WrestleMania 32 for the belt, but that was more a pop like we just saw a title change and we popped for title changes. That wasn't a Roman Reigns pop. This felt like a Roman Reigns pop. I'm still a little skeptical that he's going to be able to continue that when the shield breaks up. But Brian, this was a major, major step in the right direction. And I have to imagine that Vince McMahon was very pleased watching the main event of raw, not only because the match was awesome, but because the crowd was so hot and because they got the desired reaction when Roman Reigns did beat the Miz. True. And what it also does, let's, let's talk about how important that is having a secondary belt on such a huge baby face when your main champion is absent or not up to, 
to par is also important. I think that's why we saw AJ with the U.S. strap for a while at the beginning of the Jinder Mahal run as WWE champion. And I think Lesnar is probably going to stay in the shadows for a while and ahead of Royal Rumble. So this does feel really smart to then now, you know, Miz talks about making the IC title prominent and he has done that. Bravo to Miz. But now on Roman Reigns, it's going to mean a lot more. I was just one last thing here, and this is a smaller issue. I was not a, and I'm not sure how much it matters, but it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't love how basically Miz came out, like after the month of um, <clears throat> of build to the Baron Corbin match, where Miz was basically crapping on Baron Corbin every single week, and then Miz puts Baron Corbin over, which I think is the right move because Miz is a bigger star, so give the rub to Baron Corbin. It doesn't necessarily hurt the Miz to lose, but he basically came out and said, who cares, doesn't make a difference, I'm the bigger star. And what that does is two things. Number one, it devalues the entire build that you just spent a, a, a month, you know, putting together. And also, like, if if it doesn't matter, then why are people supposed to care more about Baron Corbin? So I felt like that, like, was almost like people could say the double, same a, about you a, exposing yeah. the business about your 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 wrong prediction too. They could say the same thing. Could they? No, just kidding. But yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying there. But you know what, Miz is in a spot where. As the the chicken crap heel who constantly you know gets people upset, he's got to take a lot of those L's. Unfortunately, you know the good thing is, is that outside of being in the opening match on SummerSlam at 5 p.m. in the afternoon, they haven't buried him for it. You remember that, by the way, the two like we're at SummerSlam and there's like eight people in the crowd and the Miz is in a six man tag with the Hardy Boys and Jason Jordan, and that was a uh, that was something else. When they when uh, they didn't open hilarious. the doors until like a second before that match started, and we waited outside to get in for like forty five minutes when you you know like when you can see the door and you can't get in the arena, that was a nice way to just bury the the arguably the third most important title in your company. Um, all right, so let's move on now to the, unless anyone has anything else on Reigns beating The Miz, we all really liked it on Monday Night Raw. We move on to the second part of our, of our is this a triple main event or a double main event? It's triple main events, right? Triple main event where we saw, if my voice were doing better, I would I would do the scream for me thing, but I'm not feeling great, so I'm not going to. Paige returning to Raw on Monday night. We had an NXT women's invasion on both brands. So Paige joined by Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville along with SmackDown with Ruby Riot, Liv Morgan, and Sarah Logan. Let's start off on Monday Night Raw and Brian Campbell. I will be honest with you. The feel hole was stuffed. The underjuice was dripping everywhere. Oh, I could not wow. have loved Paige's return anymore. Why don't you just completely gross me out and make a Brad Maddox reference? Like, come on, man. Come on yeah, right I, now. I, oh, by, by the way, shout out to Xavier Woods. But I, I, I <laughs> freaking loved Paige's return. And I'll tell you why, but your name's on the marquee, Bri, so you go first. Well, look, it's almost a, a two-part reaction here because the same thing happened on Raw and SmackDown. And on Raw, it was freaking awesome because Paige, say what you will about her, and sometimes she does drive you. Sometimes she rubs you the wrong way. Being gone a year and a half, you forget the stage presence that she has, the ability to carry out this grimy heel character and come out and be so, like, you know, just... just strutting around like that and when she returned it felt big but what made this moment work so well was it was the kind of aggressive violent intense booking on the women's side that WWE does not do enough of on the main roster specifically on Raw right where how they how perfectly they teased you here I hate troll booking which is essentially bad booking to make you mad just so you'll feel happier when the good booking follows it and they kind of did this here when all the women came out and they we're all talking trash to Alexa Bliss, and it was awful. And Mickey James is talking about biscuit butts, and nobody cares. And Angle books another fatal four way, and it's like, oh 
man, like you don't get it. Well, that was the setup to make the page reveal better. And as much as I hate troll booking, it worked because it was raw and grimy and it felt intense. And you can say what you want about the choice of the two people that were paired with Paige. Two people in Rose and DeVille who weren't even big stars on NXT. In fact, were perfectly, purposely sort of kept away from having big roles on that show. At the very least, they were believable in terms of the intensity of the, of the beatdown that they brought out because they were backed by Paige. That's what I'll give the Raw reveal credit for because Paige has a good reputation. And say what you will, Nick, in that backstage segment when they attacked Alexa Bliss and Paige was the one that started it, that felt intense. And that's why the Raw side, this was a big success. Um, I, I want to say a couple things here. Number one, Mickey James calling Alexa Bliss biscuit butt. I mean, Alexa Bliss is phenomenal, um, great performer and gorgeous. Um, I will not tolerate this type of slander because I feel like any man that's listening to this podcast probably disagrees with Mickey James' assessment of Alexa Bliss and her physical appearance. I mean, really, like we're going to slander Alexa Bliss, who's like a 15 out of 10. G- give me a break here. So wait, that, I did. Wait, is Biscuit Butt an insult? Um, I, I doubt that Mickey James would be complimenting. Yeah, I know, uh, but. But what does it mean? Like to me, it's- I think it means that she's got a small butt. Is what it means. I think that's what she said. Yeah, no problem here with that. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, I mean, I mean, I mean, yes, we don't need to get into. Wow, into, how into bad has this show devolved? It just turns. <laughs> of- I mean, look, they 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 said it on the show. Like we have to react to it. It's not like we're 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 just offering this willy nilly. Oh, um, it's like it's like attitude era raw right now on the show. I mean, that's kind of what they did. Um, so Paige got me all sorts of fired up. She is, in my opinion, with the exception probably of Charlotte Flair, head and shoulders above every other woman on the roster, including Alexa Bliss, when it comes to the total package. She can work. She's got charisma, oozing with charisma. And her work on the microphone is outstanding. And our friend uh, Mitty, Mitty Brand, tweeted me and said he disagreed. Yeah, D. Mitty, um said he thought Paige's mic work was spotty. She'd been off for a year. She was fantastic. And she did the old veteran trick where she got the crowd to make more noise for her when she said, are you happy to see me? They cheered. And this is always, I feel like, risky for a performer when you say, that's not loud enough. Because now you're running the risk of them embarrassing you by not being louder. And they rose to the occasion, the crowd in Houston did, and made more noise for her and made it seem like an even bigger deal. And her look is so unique. When everyone else is really tanned and and. Uh, just just, just looking different than she is. And she comes out looking pale with dark hair. It just works. And I think she's fantastic. And Bri, you tweeted it on Monday night, and, and I loved it. And you were right. And you said it just now. The violence that was injected into this, I thought was so good and so noteworthy. And we saw it again on, on SmackDown Live. Um, it really just needed it because it had been so formulaic, just like the four-way here and the four-way there and the winner of the four-way gets a shot at this. And it really just was nonsensical booking. So I thought this was a much needed reset of the women's division. The one complaint that I will have, I mean, Ruby Riot. Well, that's, the, no, the it's not one complaint. That's the big complaint. That's why I said Raw was good, but what was SmackDown? Because th- this is a big complaint that you're going to have here. And and also, how about the fact that like it's like okay, so we have one goth woman leading, being the front woman on Raw. So let's have the other goth woman be the be the front woman on on, on SmackDown. Like it's like, were they paying attention, or they were just like, okay, this well, worked on Raw. So, let's so that's another side topic I want to bring in Silver King for because this is what you know. Give him credit. He he pointed out to me. He's like, you know, what what what's the what do you see when you look at these three that came out on SmackDown on Tuesday night? And Silver King, you were right. They were sort of like 
fac- bastardized facsimiles of the three women that came out on Monday. They were literally, the, the three women were mirror images of one another. You have the goth, dark hair, you know, kind of pale, tattoo type person. That's the leader of both. You have the blonde, beautiful one, Mandy Rose and Liv Morgan. A little bit different. One's really muscular, one's thin, but blonde. Then you have the MMA-style, dark-haired, you know, badass in the third spot. They were mirror images of one another. It seems like this is coordinated in somehow, you know, between Raw and SmackDown. They're all together in a six-woman NXT faction, let's say. But even if that's the case, why would you make them so identical to one another where you immediately have to draw those comparisons and say, this is weird. And the other thing, and the last thing I'll say, these three, the way they were formatted, the three on Raw versus three on SmackDown, tells you everything you need to know about how Vince McMahon views Raw versus SmackDown. All three women on Raw were like the A team, and all three women on (laughs) SmackDown were the D team. Like, there's no comparison between Mandy Rose and Liv Morgan. They also put Liv Morgan on a show where Carmella already exists, and they're very similar body types and styles, etc. It it made Uh, no sense. Page versus Ruby Riot. I mean, it's just, it's not even close to me. It's ridiculous. So while the violence on the SmackDown invasion really worked the same way it did for Raw, in fact, it may have been more violent, you don't have believable people carrying out this violence. I said it on on the Raw side. Paige was sort of the the underwriting for believing that Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville, even though they weren't dressed the same, even though there was no reason to believe they were a unified faction, right? They just showed up. That part felt a little incomplete. But you had the underwriting of Paige being that type of character and being gone for so long. And by the way, Paige teasing what she did to start, which is like, hold on, I've got company, which is essentially what she said. And you're thinking, she's going to bring out Del Rio? Like, what's going on here? Even though they recently broke up. But that was great. Whereas on SmackDown, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but the biggest problem was... Ruby Riot's not on that level, right? No. Liv Morgan's not on that level where, A, they have the star power for you to pop for them arriving. B, that you would believe, because two of the three of those are really small individuals, that you would believe that they can beat up Charlotte and Becky Lynch that believably. And three, that really no one came to Charlotte's aid. So the locker room was just united in Raw versus SmackDown, and we were supposed to believe that they would care that much about the rivalry and they would beat down, Becky Lynch would break out of her babyface character and violently beat down Raw, but then something happens to Charlotte and everybody's going to sit on their hands. That's not, like, that was, whereas Friday, or sorry, Monday felt fresh, Tuesday felt very formulaic. Well, the the two faces, Becky Lynch and Naomi, had already been attacked. So there wasn't, unless heels are going to come to her aid, which you wouldn't necessarily expect, they already taken them out before they even went after Charlotte. That's at least how I looked at it. Would you guys have liked here, and I see a bonus DM slide, this from, from at Sky Captain K and more DMs coming up later on the show. How much more exciting would the Paige reveal have been, gentlemen, if Paige's two partners had been the iconic duo instead of Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville? Yeah, they. I mean, you know, not only is the iconic duo have a certain beauty and sexiness that they bring that's their character but i think they're more established more believable that they could carry out this type of beating than people that are kind of unknown on the nxt roster like sarah logan she had a great indie career before this but she's very much unknown outside of appearing in the may young classic and being the b-side to a couple nxt weekly matches like that's just like yes the iconic duo would have carried so much more gravitas you could have had the iconic duo leading the smackdown one and adding a third person right and then had Paige bring out the two people she had do you guys agree with my point about Paige it just felt to me like when Paige came back 
that it was almost like a waste of time with everybody else on the Raw women's side. And I love Alexa Bliss, and everybody knows that. And I'm not trying to poo-poo Alexa Bliss as a performer because I think she's great, but it just felt like the biggest star in the women's division outside of Charlotte Flair returned to the company and rendered pretty much everybody else absolutely irrelevant. Do you guys agree with that, or am I taking it too far? I don't think it's too far because this is her announcement that she's back. She did something large to make the make her comeback mean something, and now she's going to have to— but, but, but I feel like it's, it's, it's not just that Brian is like a one-time thing. I look at this as more of like an overarching thing. Like, forget about—and you're right about Monday night, but I feel like moving forward now, she's so clearly the best performer that they have, and it felt like that on Monday night, and I feel like that's going to manifest itself, Brian, moving forward now. I don't know if she's so clearly the best. She's at the elite level, Paige. Let's give her a credit. She knows her character better than arguably any other women and knows how to be great in, in exactly who her character is. But I think she's in that mix. I don't think she, she killed everybody else. Now it's up to her to get herself into the title picture by making this type of violent statement. Well, think about how many women can legitimately be Raw Women's Champion. You know, you have Paige, Nia Jax, Bailey, I guess, Sasha Banks. Oscar. I mean, it, it keeps going. Oscar. Uh, I mean, that they're absolutely loaded with talent on that Raw side. I was I was messaging BC during Raw. I was like, why didn't they put Paige on SmackDown? Like, SmackDown actually needs those bodies, that talent. But I think the biggest takeaway from all this, I'm just going to go quickly in a different direction. The biggest takeaway from all of this for me is they are 1,000% doing a Women's Royal Rumble this year. And they should. They should oh, have done that last any, yeah, year. Which is a great point. And they should have done it last year. And I think the, the quick answer to what you said of why they weren't on SmackDown, my instant reaction was, A, because we think Rousey's coming. We think the Four Horsewomen versus Four Horsewomen storyline is coming. And in a two-hour SmackDown show, it you know there's not a lot of room for more. But, B, maybe they're keeping away from Xavier Woods. But we'll, we'll stop on that. We'll stop on it. We'll, All right. We're not going to speak on that anymore. Right? Let's, just, let's just say I'm, I'm jealous of Brad Maddox and Xavier Woods for a couple of different reasons. Let's move on now to the third part of our triple main event. It's SmackDown Live, and what we saw is Brian Campbell is deemed in the rundown the curious case of Daniel Bryan. So the show opens up with Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens coming out and and, and beefing with Shane McMahon after Zayn and Owens attack Shane during the, the main event of Survivor Series. And uh, Zayn and Owens threaten to be fired by Shane. Daniel Bryan interrupts, makes a, a tag match later that night with Zayn and Owens against the New Day. The entire show, it's teased that they're going to be fired. Shane leaves the arena, goes back to a hotel, he says, and says, Daniel Bryan, you're going to take care of business, fire these guys, basically. And at the end of the show, Bryan does not fire Zayn and Owens after Zayn and Owens go over the New Day in dubious fashion with a Zayn roll-up, but instead makes a Kevin Owens-Randy Orton match on SmackDown next week. So it just felt like SmackDown spent two hours building up to what you were expecting to be this very climactic angle at the end, Bry. And in the end, ultimately, it was a whole lot of nothing. Yeah, I didn't like it. It felt like I didn't get any reward, like you said, for my two hours. And not in, you know, and, and there are things, by the way, called cliffhangers, right? The cliffhanger. But I, this didn't feel like a good cliffhanger to me where I knew, you know, I was excited to see what happens next. Now, there is a bigger picture conversation to be had, though, with Daniel Bryan. Obviously, what's he doing? You saw the look in his eyes, you know? One thing they did reveal was when Shane gave Daniel Bryan credit for the NXT women getting called up and invading. And that got me thinking, is this storyline more connected to the NXT women invasion than we are realizing right now? Does this have less to do with 
KO and Sami Zayn and a little bit more to do on an overarching longer storyline of DB trying to get back at Shane and essentially in the end leading to his return. That's where the payoff will be great. And you obviously get from watching this, they have a bigger plan. I don't think on Tuesday they gave us enough juice or made it all feel worth it. I mean, a lumberjack match that didn't really mean anything. And then you have KO leaving Sammy Zayn high and dry to get beat down and begging on his knees. All of that felt forced and convoluted to me, Nick. I want to have this larger picture discussion because it's the only thing exciting to me from what I saw on Tuesday. What do you think's going on here with Daniel Bryan? That's the the big question. Is there going to be an NXT invasion led by Bryan? Even though, by the way, it would make no sense because Triple H is the face of NXT. He's also the authority on Raw. That's where you get a lot of a lot of inconsistencies there. So, what the heck's going on here? I don't know, but I'm I'm kind of excited for what for what the future holds here as it concerns Daniel Bryan because obviously Bryan and we talked about it last week. He went on with our friends busted open on Sirius XM and kind of teased that he may be coming back to the ring at some point, WWE or otherwise. So there's a lot of intrigue here as it concerns Daniel Bryan. I think the three of us and a lot of the listeners are obviously big fans of Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Interested to see how the storyline is going to end up ultimately uh, playing out, but. I don't know. I'm kind of cautiously optimistic here as to what's going to happen here with Daniel Bryan. I'm not going to claim to know. And I feel like it go like in another and a whole bunch of different directions. If I had to guess, though, I think Daniel Bryan's going to turn heel at some point and be the heel GM and anti WWE, anti Shane McMahon, anti Vince McMahon, because they won't let him return to the ring. And maybe he eventually comes back in the storyline. I'm not sure. But I think that's the direction that it's moving. in. And if that's the case, that's juice. There's a couple of things you accomplish if they go in that direction. Nick, you probably keep Daniel Bryan happy, especially if it leads to him coming back, which will probably lead to him resigning, which would push back against anything of a revolution. And it also fulfills something you may have tweeted to me recently or texted to me, which was, you know, NXT so good. And we saw that Saturday night. Nick, you said it yourself. Maybe the real revolution here is NXT in, in reality, and Triple H said that on our podcast, that the only real competitor WWE he sees is his own baby, NXT. Could this mean Daniel Bryan leading an in in-house indie revolution? with I don't, I don't get how it would work, but it's it gets you excited. It gets you excited to sort of fill some gaps. I, I think Nick nailed it, and it's a combination of all of that with Owens. And, it's, about, it's about opportunity. Daniel Bryan in WWE felt he never got opportunity. You know, he had to fight for that title shot. He had to fight to be in the main event and be a champion. The fans pushed him towards it. So he sees Shane maybe not giving Owens and Zayn that opportunity. He does that. He's bringing in potentially the NXT women and maybe men. Maybe we'll see some men come come through as well to build a, whether it's a heel faction or whatever, in his own image, like Nick's saying. But I, I honestly think between the busted open radio interview, some of the other things he's been vocal about on Twitter, you know, he's still under WWE employee, and he's doing this pretty open. And from what we've heard with no public reprimand whatsoever, him talking about coming back to the ring and what WWE is and is not allowing him to do. I think they're setting up for an in-ring Daniel Bryan return, maybe as soon as WrestleMania. And I may be wrong. This is my conspiracy theory, but I think they've been planting seeds on it for months. Well, Shane would be the Shane is a is an opponent that would make sense if that's the the program that they're going. I mean, it makes sense in their in their roles as the, you know, political heads of SmackDown to turn on each other and yeah, there there's there is some excitement here. I like I said I didn't wait, like the way they executed it on Tuesday, but there is some long-term excitement. Should we just smooth snooze past though the idea of KO leaving Sammy high and dry? What what was that supposed to mean? I am confused by that. Um, I just think that's 
I, look, maybe I'm, and look, like we said last week, like Vince isn't necessarily concerned with storylines making sense. And I want to go back to one thing that we talked about last week. And Brian, you turned out to be 100% right. And it's disappointing to me. Um, you said it makes no sense in the storyline for John Cena to be on Team SmackDown. And I said, oh, well, I'm sure that they'll explain it. They never explained it. And I don't think they're ever going to. So I, I don't know that any of this necessarily means anything. Um, and it's hard to tell with WWE anymore. Like, are we looking too much into things when people do and say things? Or do they just not know what the hell they're doing on a week to week basis? Well, it goes basis? back to the go lock, way. goes back to the famous lockbox comment when Shane McMahon came back in 2016 and had that great segment with Steph and Vince and was like, you, it basically said he's got something up on Vince, which is that lockbox we're hoping right, we that we still lock- don't know who was driving the Hummer. We still don't know who drove the Hummer in WCW. We we still don't know if Braun Strowman slept in that garbage truck for two weeks and put his own bones back together. You know, I don't think he won. I think he lost it. Not only did he not win it, I felt that he lost it. I mean, come on, this this sucks. And by the way, the only way reason why Cena was back, we figured it out, was to sell that neon green Sharpie T-shirt. That was the only reason why he was back. All right. <laughs> by the way, uh, the Owen Zane thing—they do need to kind of plant. You know, we talk about plant seeds here all the time. They need to plant seeds for Zane to turn on him. We would think, right? Eventually. So maybe this is just part one of that. That's that's. I, I think I think it would more likely be Owens turning on Zayn again, right? Because I don't think because Zayn's Zayn works well as a face. I think you have to keep KO heel. But you can turn Zayn can turn on Owens and be a face. We ha- I think we had that conversation. Gotcha. Yeah, we, yeah, we we did. You're right. Yeah. And that does it for our three part main event. And you guys know after the main event, we move on to hero or zero. <laughs> It is the, I like the addition of Big Dog there. It is the lightning round edition. Silver King, the Russian judge, the czar, take it away. I'd like that Big Dog to be a permanent part of that. I thought that was great. Um, so, all right, guys, let's start with Finn Balor. So after he appeared to get a little bit of juice back after doing that job to Kane, Samoa Joe submitted him clean. Coquina Clutch on Raw. Dave Meltzer has subsequently reported WWE canceled plans for Balor to main event Royal Rumble against Brock Lesnar for that universal title because, quote, Vince McMahon felt that Finn Balor wasn't over enough, unquote. BC. Zero <laughs> zero. Oh, my God, that's such a zero. He wasn't over because he spent two weeks dropping to Kane one night after putting on a four-and-a-half-star classic against AJ Styles. Like, it makes me want to just swear and not watch this anymore as, like, a personal protest event. Like, stop the madness. You had a guy that was so hot, and you constantly put him in the stupid demon gimmick. And, okay, I know that you guys are going to fight me on that. People love the stupid demon. So that's fine, okay? But my whole point is, like, you constantly tweak him. You constantly put him in crap situations. And every time he has a good moment, you kill him. Of course he's not getting over because you don't want anybody to get over but Roman. It's almost like they don't want to have crossover superstars what the heck nick like are you kidding me and by the way the plan now is brock braun Strowman. it's like well we already did that no 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 no. that can't be that they're not doing that again they can't do that again well per per melts we'll see if that happens that brock then brock's gonna win and then all right this is <laughs> this this i'm trying not to curse this effing infuriates me what's going on here as a good I think that they ruined Braun Strowman. And I tweeted that on Sunday night and people are coming at me. Oh, you're overreacting this and that. 
Braun Strowman has not yet reached the dizzying heights that he did after his electric SummerSlam performance because they jobbed him out clean to Brock Lesnar. People are like, oh, you know, Braun's still over. Didn't you hear the pop that he got? You know what I know? I know that Braun Strowman's not as over today as he was at SummerSlam. Period. End of freaking story. And it's not even a question. So people don't come at me on Twitter and tell me that Braun Strowman is still as over because he isn't. Now, they could still rehabilitate Braun Strowman, but the fact that they had him white hot as he was and they fed him to Brock Lesnar was an absolute disgrace, and I'm not even going to harbor any arguments to the contrary. Now, as it concerns Finn Balor, I will admit, I'm not as big a Finn Balor fan as many people are. I respect his in-ring ability. There's no doubting it. He's been on with us a couple times on the show, both at SummerSlam and a separate interview, and he's been fantastic, gracious with his time, and I'm a fan of his personally. I think that he, as a performer, is missing something. I yeah, don't good know booking, exactly Nick. Good bo- it's good no, booking. That's no, what he's missing. Not, no, not, no, not just good and booking. And stick to a character. That's the two things he's missing. Stick to a gimmick and good booking. No, I don't know that. Th- and I agree with Vince McMahon on this. And you're not wrong about the fact that you want Finn Balor to get over, maybe don't book him in a three-month program with Bray Wyatt where like yeah. they're going supernatural hokey BS back and forth. Well, he, There's no question. He might that. need a back. He might need a faction. He might need the Good Brothers. To be honest with you, you're saying if he's missing something, it might mean, it might mean the muscle and the comedy and humor of the Good Brothers behind him, maybe. And listen, and that, that may be the case, but as a singles performer, I don't know that Finn Balor has it. Oh, he's got it. He's got it. He's got it. I, Look, I disagree, and I have felt that way for a long time. When he comes out and cuts promos, there is a disconnect between him and the audience. Does he still get a big babyface star reaction? He does. Because he's not I a, don't because he's not a great pure babyface, and he's doing this whole "you guys are the Balor Club." Like that, that's not him. Like I always say this. Okay, and it's true. Go back and watch him in Japan and watch the promos he was allowed to cut. And yeah, he's allowed to use the F word and put a gun hand signal up against people's heads. So I know it's a different foundation. It's not PG, but still go back and see he can be that guy. He's not a white meat baby face. So if you're going to have him as a baby face, then let him be an edgy, cocky baby face rather than this wholesome. You're the Balor Club and I'm the. No, you're not the Balor. The Balor Club should be a faction. Fine. But fine. And like and all of that's fair. And all, and you could be right. But that's not what they're doing right now. The point is right now is it's supposed to be Finn Balor, pure babyface against Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble. And the bottom line is, and you just proved my point for me, Finn Balor in his current incarnation does not have it. No, but and maybe that- and maybe that's the better way of putting it is that we feel like he does, and they're just not giving him the opportunity to. Now, I agree. The booking's been terrible. They've done him no favors. But what I also think is that even if the booking has been good for Finn Balor, comma, pure babyface, I don't think that Finn Balor, comma, pure babyface has it, and I can't kill Vince McMahon for the decision to pull him from that main event. I won't. Doesn't booking include character, and doesn't character include calling a guy forcing calling a guy extraordinary and putting him over that way and then jobbing him out to if you don't job Finn Balor out to Kane and you don't have him in the feud with Bray Wyatt he's the first ever universal champion 
who's come back to Raw and is dominating as a babyface, and it probably works. You know what I think? I think I, that— I, I don't think it does because I don't think he has it. He has it, Regardless Nick. They're giving him— Regardless the cre- booking. He, they're giving he doesn't. Him, okay, he doesn't have it to just walk out there and do nothing and get huge screams. Some guys have that. He doesn't have that it. He has a whole different kind of it, though, and it's, it's backed by what he can do in the ring, and it's backed by how much people love the demon gimmick when he does bring it out every once in a while. It, but you, you have to have the other things to make it work, which is good booking. I think— He's a, obviously a Triple H guy. He made big big things happen in NXT. I think Vince was willing to sign off on him getting a big push, and that's why we saw Summer 2016. He pinned uh, Roman Reigns clean on Raw and then won I the first ever— Hold on, like hold on, hold on. And then won the first ever Universal Championship, and his injury derailed that, obviously, to get that tryout to see what he can do. And I think Vince is just bored with him. That's what I think. If this was Triple H booking, it'd be differently. I think Vince looks at it as, oh, he's just an NXT guy with some gimmick. And Vince is bored with it. So when Vince is bored with something, he doesn't give it the proper chance to work. He pulls the plug on it. That's what happens. Do you know who has it? AJ Styles has it. Roman Reigns has it. The Miz has it. Shinsuke Nakamura, for all the criticism I've given, Nakamura's got more natural charisma. Nakamura's got it more than Balor does, in my opinion. You're crazy so, you to know, say Balor doesn't have it. You're crazy. I, I don't. I. This is my honest to god opinion. I don't think that. And look, maybe they put him with the Good Brothers, and it changes my mind. I'm not. It's just not a career indictment on him. I'm not saying he can never be a, a main event guy or someone that I personally take seriously. And look, I'm one guy. I mean, I happen to have a microphone here and like an audience, but I'm one guy. You guys both disagree. Maybe people in the audience listening disagree, but this is how I feel. I'm with Vince McMahon here. I don't think that Finn Balor has it. And I have Samoa Joe has it more than Finn Balor does. I don't have a problem with pulling Finn Balor from the main event. Tweet us at In This Corner CBS on Twitter. By the way, follow that account if you haven't. Tweet him at the Costas. Tweet both of us and let us know whether Finn Balor has it. Let's move on. He doesn't. He doesn't. And you know, and you know who you know who agrees with me? Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Right, who's so out of touch, nothing. who's so out of touch right now. It's just it's just I'm frightening. Not, and again, and if you'll just allow me, I am not saying that Finn Balor is not a good performer. I am not saying that he can't he can't be a main eventer. I am saying that in this current incarnation, regardless of the bad booking, and the booking's been bad. I don't know that Finn Balor has enough of a connection with the audience that you, you can say that this guy has. It's you don't like what I'm saying? Well, you can suck my it. You can, you can, it. it. That's what he left. That was the other word there. It, yeah. All right. Tweet, tweet, tweet us at in this corner CBS and follow that account and let us know how wrong Nick is. Let's move on to number two in Hero Zero. Kane did not interfere as expected at Survivor Series, but he did return on Raw to beat down Ron Strowman again in the year of our Lord 2017. Nick, Hero Zero. I mean, look, I don't. We're going ad nauseum here on the Kane thing. Obviously, it's stupid. Um, I'll say this: when I'm watching Raw on DVR on Tuesday morning slash Monday night, you know what I'm thinking? You know what I want to see Braun Strowman do, guys? Anytime he's on my television, I want to see him beat people up. I want to see him destroy everyone in his path, like he did at SummerSlam when he. I laid out Brock Lesnar, put him through multiple tables, and the crowd went nuts. That's what we want to see Braun Strowman do. You know what we don't want to see Braun Strowman do? Get beat up, especially not by Kane. So I thought that was pretty, pretty annoying. So if you'll allow me, because, Bri, I'm sure that you agree that this is a zero, right? Am I right? Zero for Kane beating up Strowman. Well, obviously, but for much deeper, deeper, overarching reasons. 
Okay, so you get into your reasons, and then I want to spin this into another direction. All right, well, it, it comes down to this. It's all the zeros for all the things that we kill Kane for, right? In 2017, this 50-year-old uh, guy who's running for mayor, getting this type of Triple H-level booking, that's obviously a zero. But it's a bigger zero for what it ruined. Sunday night was an incomplete storyline to end Survivor Series that we hated. That was like, oh, come on, of all your choices, you did that. Monday, they started the show by looking like they were repairing it. You had Angle and Triple H's face. You had Jason Jordan defending his father. It turned into a Braun Strowman-Jason Jordan match. They spent two full hours on Monday building the backstory for this. Every time they went to commercial and came back, there's another Kurt Angle-Jason Jordan segment. It won me over. I was dialed in. This was what they do a lot. The ending to Sunday night pay-per-views sometimes suck. They fix it on Monday night. And they were on the verge of fixing it. And they let Kane come in from left field when he's not even really a part of the storyline and destroy it. And not only did you destroy everything you built with Jason Jordan there and made that whole scenario two hours feel worthless, you killed Strowman because everyone who defended Sunday night's booking, all the industry experts on their own podcast who defended Sunday night's booking, who hate when people like us who haven't booked territories try to tell WWE how to book a territory, they said, look, Sunday night was all about Strowman going over. Triple H sacrificed himself so Strowman can go over. That, that's their defense. He's their big star that they're pushing. Well, 24 hours later, you had Kane destroy him again, just like you did to Finn Balor after you went over AJ Styles. It, the Kane thing is has such a ripple effect that it destroyed two guys in one setting and destroyed a giant storyline that they built up, Nick. Yeah, um, you're 100% right. It's it's ludicrous. And the, the idea that Triple H sacrifices himself, like, I love Triple H. He's gracious with his time. He comes on our show. He books the hell out of NXT. But, like, Triple H put himself over in that main event. And God bless him. I mean, he's the CEO of the company, and he's a huge star, so I don't have an issue with it. But I think that's why he sacrificed himself. Like, that's, I don't you know, think he actually put himself over. Sunday night felt like Vince booking. Like he just used it. Actually, you could be right about that. You, you want to be, be right. conspiracy theory? You know what Sunday night felt like? It felt like Vince going, "All right, Triple H, you're a proven star. I'm gonna take you and use you to bury your own creations." That's what that kind of felt like. Um, I want to take this in a different direction, and it's the Jason Jordan direction. I got a ton of tweets, guys, from listeners. Like a ton of tweets, more than usual, from listeners about my Jason Jordan take from Raw on Monday night. And I'm gonna toss this out there to you. I want to see if you agree or disagree. I think that what we have seen the last couple of weeks is the making of a superstar in Jason Jordan. I've been down on Jason Jordan in the past. The work that he has done the last couple of Monday nights has been nothing short of sensational. He is playing the whiny, cowardly role to such an awesome degree that I am captivated when he's on the screen. Now, a lot of the shtick was hokey on Monday night, specifically Matt Hardy's obviously scripted promo about sometimes it's not being your night and all this crap about Braun Strowman. Take that and, and toss it away for a second. Just as it concerns Jason Jordan, I now have the confidence that when they pull the trigger on the Jason Jordan heel turn, that it's going to be awesome. I think that he is not a star, a superstar in the making, and I will go out on a limb and put my name on that, on that take. And I feel very strongly about it. Wow. Wow. That's a bold statement to say superstar when we when we need to see more. But I, I like your Jason your Jordan had how about this? You ready for this? This will piss people off. Jason Jordan has 
it. Uh, you're insane. You're and insane. Finn, and you're Finn ab- Balor does not. Uh, that's, that's, see, that's, that's a trolling, absolutely insane. It's like not. Nick already it's exposed not. the business, showed you that his takes don't 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 matter because because he'll win anyway. Well, he's not going to win this one. He's not going to win. He's, he's not going to win this one. But no, yeah, Jordan. That, no, that was for predictions. That's like no, no. Predictions. I get it. I get it. Jordan has obviously has big potential. I felt like like I said that Kane coming back ruined it. But even if Kane coming back is tied into this, is tied into. Triple H rehiring Kane to join the authority to screw over Braun Strowman and Jason Jordan. Again, that's troll booking. You piss off your audience to get that reveal down the road. I hate being a part of that. I, I know you could you could counter it and say, well, you just hate being caught in the mark zone. That's not the mark zone. That's troll level booking. That And sometimes I don't even think they're smart enough to do troll level. Sometimes I think they just make the wrong decision. They hear people hating on it, and then they spin it back to where it needs to go. Silver King, settle the, the difference here. Jason Jordan, future star, or, or or put on the brakes here. So let's go back a week ago, right? Uh, he did great on Raw. I think before Survivor Series, the point maybe I made or you guys agreed with, I don't remember. I thought it was a star-making turn for Jason Jordan on Monday Night Raw last week. I think what happened backstage at Survivor Series and this week on Raw only enhanced that. The only way I'll disagree with Nick is Nick, they're all superstars. All of them. Yeah, it's Just not a bell, it's a title. All right, all right Silver King, Just do you have ask. any real analysis to add, or are you going to toe the company line here? I just gave the analysis. I, I agree with you. So, I think. you, agree, so you, agree, you agree with me? Absolutely. I just think the term's funny, because they're all superstars. If you guys had to pick one to say who's got the better superstar, and not you superstar, but yeah, let's use the and word superstar. I was messing with the, you. Who's got more potential by the end of the year 2018 to be potentially more over and a bigger star in WWE, Finn Balor or Jason Jordan, who are you taking? Well, it's still Finn Balor, but even if you tell me that Vince has no confidence in Finn Balor, it's still Finn Balor. Even if he doesn't get the right booking, it's still Finn Balor. It's still Finn. If Vince is out on him, we'll go to SmackDown. They'll make him WWE champion. It's Finn. But if you're talking five years from now, I might, I might side with Jason Jordan there, but next year, Finn Balor. If we are doing like a draft here where we all pick somebody and like that's the guy that you have for the next couple of years, I'm going to throw you a curveball. People aren't going to like it. I'm taking Jason Jordan. But where do you have the confidence? In, and I'm not saying this because their, their skin is all the same color, but we've seen some guys like Bobby Lashley not not pan out, right? Like Shelton Benjamin. Why do you have that full confidence that one, Jason Jordan has it and that two, Vince will stick through it in in and give him a chance. He's already turned on Finn Balor, that he's going to stick through it and give him a chance to become that. They turned on Baron Corbin two weeks after giving him money in the bank. I mean, who's who, 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 who's got a better chance of being a star based on what you've seen the last six months, Jason Jordan or Baron Corbin? Jason Jordan. Jason yeah. Jordan. It's Jason not even Jordan. close. Baron Corbin has no freaking charisma. He's got some charisma. I, I like Baron Corbin more than most, but Baron Corbin doesn't have it. Jason Jordan's got it. He's shown you it the last couple of weeks. I'm shocked that people don't see that. Like, I'm stunned by it. Like, he is setting up for the grand, he's working everybody right now. And they're working everyone with this angle. And when he turns, he's going to get nuclear heat. Maybe I'm going to be wrong. I don't think I'm going to. I am I think Jason Jordan has superstar written all over him. When's Finn Balor's th- contract up? Can we have him join the revolution? That'd I think you said it last week, Nick. It's Rocky Maivia-esque. Like, what they're doing with Jordan, It's and, and I, I think I added, it's a combination of the Rocky Maivia build into The Rock, and then the John Cena when he started out, and the ruthless aggression. I think that's what they're doing with Jason Jordan. You make a really good point. I don't. I just don't. I don't agree with the he has it and Finn Balor doesn't, and this guy will be a massive star. Finn Balor won't be. I don't agree with that part. 
But well, it's not that I'm not saying Finn Balor won't be a massive I'm, star. I'm just saying that I prefer Jason Jordan's long-term potential. I think your general thesis is spot on. How about that? Does that make sense? Cool. I like All it. right. Let's move on here. Number three. This is supposed to be Hero Zero lightning round. It has been anything but. Slow storm building uh, round edition. All right. Number three. AJ Styles on Tuesday. He accepted Jinder Mahal's rematch challenge. But Mahal demanded match go down at Clash of Champions. Singh Brothers then attacked Styles. Handicap match next week where Styles will surely either destroy them or Jinder Mahal, I'm sure, will get involved. So here are zero BC on the AJ Styles and Jinder Mahal. Without adding Without a lot of fire and screaming behind this, I'll just say that this is formulaic board, booking and I'm bored. And I don't like what WWE is starting to do a lot around Mania, which is press pause and whatever feud was going on, do a quick three-week Mania feud, and then sometimes press unpause for whatever was happening before. Or sometimes when a feud should have ended at Mania, they keep it going another month just to milk it. This feels like the belt going back on AJ was how it was supposed to be. So why are we continuing this? You know, if it's just AJ going to get a second chance at beating him down and you get a main event pay-per-view out of it, that's one thing. Even if their idea is to put it back on gender, then that's something I'm going to be upset about. Both situations I think you lose. Why are we continuing this? Um, it's a hero for right now, but I don't want it to go on much longer than this. And I, and look, I, I praised Jinder a couple of weeks ago after he dropped this belt. I liked his title right more than most did, but I think it's pretty clear. And Paul Heyman even said it in that video that they replayed on SmackDown. Styles is probably the most over guy in the entire company. Like, let's give him a run with the belt. Like I, I, I'm okay with Jinder staying in the upper, in the upper, in the main events level, upper mid card heel, putting him over guys. I like his act. I think he's improved on the mic. Love the Singh brothers. I don't want to see Jinder get the belt back just yet. AJ Styles deserves to hold it through WrestleMania. You you can't have Jinder be champion for five months and then just push him out of the way without at least a rematch. So they have to do this match. Yeah, I mean, but that's my point is, I guess, without I didn't say it, that's a SmackDown rematch to me. And they constantly do that, right? Oh. They always give you the rematch a week later or two weeks later after the pay-per-view. That's a, not a pay-per-view main event. You know, maybe it won't be the main event, but that's not a pay-per-view main event rematch at this point to me. I think that's a fair point, uh, except they do have like eight weeks until Royal Rumble and they got to put something on, you know, Clash Champions. So that's where I then I won't be it. watching that night, Adam. All right. I won't be. <laughs> I'm sure you will be. Number four, for those of you like me who no longer watch 205 Live, this is a headline. It was announced NXT star Hideo Itami, previously known as Kenta, is coming soon to the show. Nick, new NXT watcher, who you are, hero or zero? Don't care. Brian. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> and I was such an Itami guy back in like 2015 when he last mattered, it's, it's unfortunately a don't care. This is almost a downgrade to his career because of how bad 205 Seriously, Live is right now. You'd rather be on NXT than 205 Live, right, Brian? Exactly. Not even and more importantly, we've talked about it before on the show, but Itami's never recovered from those two major injuries. He's just not the same performer. I mean, we saw him in the Andre the Giant Jobber Battle Royal at, at Mania 31. It looked like he was going to be a guy, and he was one of the guys, like I always say, that got me into NXT and got me loving that style he's not that guy anymore and uh man what is he going to do now be part of enzo's zo train and and you know job out to jack Gallagher? like I, I want nothing to do with this like it just ended but and it is official not that it wasn't before like so i watch raw and dvr now because i'm working at nights so i watch it when i get home i i didn't watch the seg the, the cruiserweight segment on raw i fast forwarded through it i have no desire to watch it i don't care what they're doing imagine you're hideo atami and you're on nxt and nxt is awesome and you get called into the office and they tell you we're sending you to 205 live that's got to be soul crushing because 205 like silver king you you were you were right from the beginning man like i don't know that they need to cancel it because like it, I, I don't know if it brings in revenue or I, I don't know what the deal is but the show is such an unbelievable afterthought it's been done so poorly yeah well that- let me just amend that silver king was long term right 
But when I was defending it six months ago, it was still watchable. There were still parts of it that were redeemable. It was still good. They they never capitalized on the buzz they had from the CWC and did an indie-style show, which is what it should have been. But now it's way past unwatchable. You but, said you fast-forwarded through that segment on Raw. I thought that was the worst Cruiserweight segment they've ever had on Raw. So it's so... The train is, like, in the woods, and the, the train's underwater. There's no tracks left. They've already removed the tracks. It's over. But even back then, if you still had to look for reasons to say it was good. I'm not saying that you were wrong, and it was somewhat watchable if you're a Cruiserweight fan, but you had to look for reasons to say, well, they did this well, they did this well. You shouldn't have to do that. You should be able to say, I'm spending an hour watching TV, and you know, and I'm, watch, I'm spending that much time there. 40 minutes of it were really watchable. And I don't think there was any time outside of a couple episodes at 205 Live was good for 40 minutes of an hour. Um, the only thing I'll say about it today with Tommy really quick, BC, and tell me if you agree, he, he, he wasn't going anywhere in NXT. I mean, he tried and failed there, not necessarily all his fault due to injuries. This seems to me like it's a sink or swim situation. It's like, we have this guy under contract. We're going to bring him up. We're not going to put him on Raw or SmackDown. It's either going to work or it's not. And if it's not, we'll just release him. I could be. It could be, well, he's got time left on the deal. He's somewhat important to us in crossing over to the Asian market. Let's just keep it going. That's how it feels like to me. All right, number five, and this one, it's deep for me, guys. The Bludgeon Brothers made their in-ring debut on SmackDown by squashing the Hype Bros. Okay, BC, tell me I was right. Um, not not a full zero here. No, I actually, I'm going to give it a slight hero. I don't think, I mean, look, it's not great, but guess what? It's comparable to them doing nothing and not being on TV for six to eight months. So in that regard, yeah, it's like uh, Wyatt family adjacent to a degree, and yeah, it's a little bit corny, but I didn't actually hate their in-ring gear, and what I loved and I know that we don't have confidence it's going to be like this every week, I love that they violently squash somebody because Luke Harper is obviously the star of the group, and he's in top-level shape right now. Like, he looks like a million bucks on Tuesday night, and, he, and yeah, their finishing move wasn't good. There's things to not like about it, but you know what? For a debut, I didn't just, like, want to turn the TV off. I thought, you know what? They may have something. It's obviously going to come down to the booking. They're probably going to be a middling jobber team in the end, but for as long as this can go, I didn't hate it. Uh, a couple things on this. Number one, I actually didn't mind the finisher. It's like the old chronic finisher from WCW. I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mind it. Um, they got a nice babyface reaction, and Harper was doing a good job drawing that heat. It seemed like the crowd was kind of into it. Here's my issue with the Bludgeon Brothers: for as good as Luke Harper is, and he's great, Eric Rowan is not good. Now Rowan is big. He's got a beard. He's got the look. He is also maybe a quarter of the worker that Luke Harper is. And what I want you to go back and watch here. And I think oftentimes the difference between good working and bad working, and, and I don't, like, I, I've never stepped inside a ring, so I don't mean this to be presumptuous, to be like, and I know what it's like to work. I just know that I've been watching wrestling for 30 years, and this is the stuff that I pick up on. Watch that match. What separates good workers from bad workers, in my opinion, or good workers from middling workers, is it's supposed to all look fluid. It's not supposed to be clunky. So who did they end up squashing? I don't even remember who they squashed. Who did they squash? Hype the Hype Brothers? If you watch the spot where Rowan's in the ring, I don't remember if it was Ryder or if it was Mojo. I think it was Ryder. Where one of them does like a leaping crossbody and Rowan catches him and body slams him and then tags Harper in. You see Rowan bracing to catch him for the body slam but almost before the wrestler has taken off in the air. It's clunky. Like if it's Harper, Harper's not going to do that. He's just going to catch him and slam him in one fluid motion. With Rowan, it felt like, Okay, now I'm posting up to catch him. Now I catch him. Now I body slam him. It's very clunky. So Harper is so much better than Rowan. And that's a big deal, right? Because if they're both big. So it's almost like you need someone in there to compliment 
Luke Harper and Eric Rowan is not that guy. And ultimately I feel like Rowan is going to be the guy. And I hate this. I don't know Eric Rowan personally could be a great guy. I just don't think that he's the type of performer that should be working in a tag team with a superstar in Luke Harper. And I think that's ultimately what's going to be the downfall of the Bludgeon Brothers. Because at the end of the day, only one of those those two guys can work on a high level, and it's Luke Harper. By the way, we're already off the rails and went longer than we should have. But answer this. Why the hell are these guys not in the Wyatt family? Like, doesn't that make the most sense? Guess what? The Wyatt family works. It's a great gimmick. Let it roll. Why the hell isn't Luke Harper... Did it, why didn't he go back to NXT, get repackaged, and come back as a singles performer? I thought everything sucked except the entrance music. And that does it for the lightning round of Hero or Zero. Now, Brian Campbell cares about the audience so much that he made sure to send a scathing email to the Silver King and yours truly. Brian, man of the people, not happy that we've skipped out on the DMs a couple weeks in a row. Because quite frankly, Silver King and I, we don't really care. But Brian Campbell, damn it, he cares, and his name is on the marquee. So BC, after a few-week hiatus... It is once again time to slide into the old DMs. Shout out to Yo Gotti. First up from Nikki J G R F X. He says, with the huge news of Jericho Omega at Wrestle Kingdom, let's say the match lives up to the hype, and it's a six-star Omega match or in that whereabouts. Where does that move Jericho on the all-time list? And he says, given Jericho's um, long-term relevancy in the career he's put together, that Jericho is a top 10 performer. Bry, your thoughts on that? What a potential Omega six-star match at Wrestle Kingdom could do for the legacy of Chris Jericho. It's an interesting thought. I think this is a huge power move for a, for a decorated guy late in his career to recognize that there's someone else and something else out there outside of WWE that might be as good or better in certain categories and saying, I want to be a part of it. I want this on my career resume. Like, that's why this move, you know, when this happened, we talked all about what it means for Kenny Omega and NJPW. I'm glad that we're getting a chance here to answer this question and talk about what it means for Jericho. And to me, it's a big power move. The end of that question, though, is where it gets hairy. There's a lot of wrestlers that we can say that guy's, you know, a top 10 wrestler of all time in terms of his ability. Last time I checked, there's still only 10 spots for the top 10. And I've done this exercise earlier this year before the Royal Rumble to sort of mark down and say, who is my top 10 all the time? Who's my top 20? You know, and sort of look at that. And I'm pretty confirmed on who my top 10 is. But in that 10 to 20, there's a lot of really good competing names. And I consider Chris Jericho, Kurt Angle, Bret Hart in that 13, 14, 15, 16 area right now. And yes, you could like one more than the other and move them up one or two spots. I still think Chris Jericho is not a top 10 performer. You can argue that he has the ability or the resume to be considered among that. I think he's more on par with like an edge all time. And I will just say though that if he does have a six-star match like this and it leads to some kind of feud where he plays a small role in a launch of the re- of this revolution taking a next step forward, yes, I would have to recalibrate and reconsider at that point after seeing how good it was and the impact of it if this could bump him up. But I just want to say shout-out to Chris Jericho for doing this. And I know there's been a lot of conspiracies that go with this of him are him and Vince working in concert I don't think so I think this is Jericho being a smart businessman and he always has been he's known when to walk away he's known when to come back at the right time and I think this ties in more with him launching that cruise at the end of next year and Triple H saying no to having NXT talent there so Jericho was in a spot where as a businessman said well I still want to do this so I'm going to link up with Ring of Honor and I think that's what led to the idea of why don't I go one further and fight Omega shout out to him for doing that The only thing I disagree with there, um, for me, Jericho is a top 10 performer, regardless of how this program goes, but I agree with everything else you said, Brian. 
Is yeah, he really, though? If you really map it out, I'm not going to ask you to name your top 10 in order, but do you think he really is a... If well, I don't, okay, Let's not he's, say all-time... He's, he's probably my second or third favorite wrestler of all time. Right, but that, okay, but that's one thing. But I'm, if, we, if we start the modern era of 1984 when Vince went national and we sort of went down to two major territories, right, and it was, we, we ended the, the, the broken territory system of the past. So since that point, if that's our history... I, you, I don't know if you can be confident to say Jericho's in that top 10. Tim, there's a, or I called you Tim. Nick, there's a lot of heavy hitters in that. Like, it's really hard for me to say. Like, I'm comfortable with him about 14, 15, but 10, I mean, man, there's a lot of heavy hitters. You can do that confidently? I mean, I can do it confidently because I love Chris Jericho, but I think that you make a good point. It's more my own personal preference. He's always been one of my favorites. He may be, though. One thing he may be doing, he may be on the road or already there to say he's the greatest little man in pro wrestling, in this modern pro wrestling history. Because look, started as a cruiserweight and elevated himself to a legitimate main eventer who could talk and can work and, and the longevity certainly helps him. But even without that longevity, is he the greatest little man that we've ever seen in wrestling in terms of where he's taken his career to? I mean, I don't think there's any question, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I think you can do it one of two ways. BC, you're talking top 10 ever, which is, I guess, what the question is. The ever but saying I, from, from, the, from the national area, yeah. Yeah, but I think if you looked at it from even just like attitude era to now or when things started changing to now, I think he's a no-doubter top five. And I think it's different. You're talking about different eras and a different group of people that you're choosing from. I think he's a no-doubter top five recently. And I think to the, the actual, what this question is actually asking is, is this Omega match going to change Jericho's standing? My answer is no. I think he's already what he is. I don't think this makes him better. I don't think this improves his brand or or how I'll think of him, you know, historically. I think Chris Jericho is great and he's going to be wrestling a great match. Next up, guys, in the DMs is from Adnan, Adnan1610. He agrees that there's a revolution, but doesn't think it's just Omega leading the charge. He mentions Kazuchika Okada being right there with him, a two-general revolution. Bry, agree with Adnan that Okada right there with Kenny Omega. Well, Adnan slid in my DMs and sent me a, bu a bunch of guys that also are our noted listener, Omar El Rashid from Australia. They both attended Okada's tour recently of when they brought some NJPW guys to Australia, and he sent me an English, all-English promo that Okada sent, and it was surprisingly really good. But to his overall point, yes and no. Okada is the face of this potential revolution in all the ways that I've been talking about in this show for weeks. But yes, you need really competent, high-quality B-sides to have programs and matches that really cross over and have this type of impact. And it's almost an insult to call Okada a B-side because he's that good. He might be the second-best wrestler in the world, depending on your preference, right? At worst, he's like fifth, right? I mean, this is really honest here. But in the overarching revolution having an impact... Omega's the guy. Yes, he needs Okada to push him to that level, but I won't go as far as saying it's a two-general revolution because we've seen Omega, Nick, have five and a half, five, five and a half, and even six-star matches with every other top star he's been in the ring with. Well, I see, I disagree on that point, the last one that you made, because Okada's had one of the great years in the history of professional wrestling, so that I'm not with you on. But what I will say is Okada's never coming to the United States full-time. So he can't be the leader of the revolution here. Like, he's great, and it's not shaded Okada, but Adnan, I think, is wrong on that point because ultimately Okada is a Japanese performer. There's nothing wrong with that, whereas Kenny Omega can come to the United States. He's Canadian. He speaks English fluently, and Okada does speak English also, so I'm not I'm not saying that he can't, but I don't think that it's fair to, to put those two in the same boat. I don't think it's fair 
to Okada. Next from Gus LaFontaine at Gus underscore LPS. Gus is my middle name. I like that. Gus loves the show. Appreciate it, brother. He wants us to talk mania tickets at in New Orleans. They went on sale, um, what, a couple days ago, November 17th. Wants the opinion on to where to sit. Floor seats, risers, lowers, up top. How to prepare to go to the Superdome for WrestleMania 34 now. Were either of you guys at WrestleMania 30 at the Superdome or no? Negatory. Okay, so I will just say this since I was there. Just make sure that you get there early. Because I've never, and I was at the Super Bowl at the Superdome also between the 49ers and Ravens. It's kind of an antiquated big stadium. Like they need to, they need a new build a new stadium there because it's 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 all too old. But there is a major crunch of people trying to get in. So make sure that you're not in that crunch because honestly, it was kind of dangerous because there's not a lot of room and there's thousands, tens of thousands of people funneling into the stadium. And I remember being like a little terrified as we walked in there, like. It, it, it was set up for potentially something bad to happen. So as far as where to sit, my seats weren't great, but the Superdome is laid out in such a way that you're going to get a great view of the ring no matter what. So I don't think that you need to splurge on really expensive seats if you don't want to, because you're going to get a, gr- a great view no matter what. So, so I've gone to three different WrestleManias. Um, to answer the question directly in terms of where to sit, I always believe, first of all, the floor, it's way too expensive. You don't get a good view. If you get stuck behind one of those big new, uh, you know, I don't even the poles that are like extra, extra large on all four sides of the ring now because they have the canopy. Although if this is inside a dome, maybe they won't have that canopy. I'm not sure. But you get screwed based on that. You can get screwed based on where the camera is. So my suggestion is the risers um, on what would be the 50 yard line, 40, 30 yard line. Those are the seats you want. It's the best value um, and seat money. And if for some reason you either can't afford or you can't get those, then I would sit you know, lower level like you would at a football game. Again, between the 30s on either side. I think those are easily the best seats. All right, let's move on to Tyler Long at Tyler Long 5. He watched WWE 365 with KO. I didn't see it. I'd actually kind of like to watch that. And he didn't like KO's matches with AJ or Jericho and his feud with Rollins last year. Tyler Long adds fell a little flat as well. And he asked, Bri, is the idea of Kevin Owens better than the reality of Kevin Owens at this point? So I like this question because it's a very interesting debate and and not necessarily a a huge knock against KO, who we're all going to say we love his in-ring work. We love his mic work. We love him as arguably the best heel in the company. But I brought this up when Sami Zayn at Hell in a Cell came in to save KO from Shane. And I basically, at that kind of made a smaller version of this argument and said, is there any chance WWE doesn't believe in KO as a lead solo heel superstar on his own? Did they learn something from the Jericho run that they believe he needs a help or sidekick or somebody to help raise him up? And that's why they reunited him so soon. I'm sorry, not reunite, but brought, you know, brought Sammy on so soon. It's interesting. He made some good points about some of these other feuds didn't pop on the level of KO Cena or or whatever. Even the AJ Styles one was a little bit underwhelming. But I think the proper argument against that, though, is that the booking in AJ KO was really underwhelming. And neither guy played a huge role in it at times. It was all over the place. Everybody else was getting involved. But the matches weren't good. And I think that's the point. The matches weren't great. Okay, let's Correct. put it like that. The but first we were one expecting was... five-star classics and we never got Well, them. but let's be honest. The first KO AJ one where AJ got his foot caught in the table and they purposely had a slow, you know, a shorter one was on pace to be great. But my whole point, like I just said, then they pressed pause on it. They went in different directions. They didn't necessarily do KO right. So do we merge those two opinions and say, yes, he's great, but maybe the ceiling is closer than we thought? I think it might be time for us to accept the fact that KO is not a superstar worker. 
and he's a good worker, and he's capable of putting forth good matches. But I don't know if it's fair for us to expect OKOs in a match that's going to be four or five stars because I think there's a track record now, and this is where I think our buddy Tyler is right. The match with Jericho at WrestleMania stunk. It didn't stink. It just wasn't really that good. The matches with AJ were good, not great. The well, no, hold on. Okay, you said it's not really that good. The Mania match with Jer- with Jericho was it was a really good Mania match. It wasn't great though. It wasn't. All right, let's not act like it wasn't good though. It was okay. Are you saying okay for what we expect in that spot? Because let's remember, it was really like the third match of the night. It wasn't pushing a spot. You know. I expected it to be a match that could potentially steal the show, and it was far from it. Far from it. Not even close to that. I don't I, I don't fully agree with that. And I don't know that calling him a not-so-great worker is fair. I do think, unlike some other performers, what KO brings to the table, the biggest thing he brings to the table is his personality and his character as opposed to his in-ring work. But he's also a big man who does a lot of things a big man should not be able to do in the ring. You talk about that running cannonball and some of those other moves that he has. So I don't necessarily think it's fair to judge him that way when he's not a wrestler who should be judged that way. AJ Styles is a wrestler who's work first, character second in many ways. KO is a, is a, is a wrestler who's character first, work second. But if you put Kevin Owens in the ring against a good performer, he gives you a good match. It may not be five stars, but he's not going to give you a two and a half star piece of crap. Maybe in the end we just have to settle. He's, he's not the upper, upper, upper tier He's warning track power short of that, which still means he's pretty damn good, right? Uh, I think that we can agree to disagree here. And the one thing that I will say is with the all-around package for Kevin Owens, he's awesome. So I don't mean to throw shade at Kevin Owens. I just don't know that he's like an AJ Styles lover worker. Is it an insult to say that? No. Is he a tremendous all-around performer? Absolutely. Is he one of my favorites? He absolutely is. And unlike Finn Balor, Kevin Owens has it. Last one. Wow, in the wow. we're, we're, we got to let this keep going here. This is this is great. We're, we, we need a segment of Cajun Fire. He wants to know the percentage chance that we see either Alistair Black or Velveteen Dream in the Royal Rumble this year. And I would just like to add here, um, I watched NXT Takeover. I did not get the opportunity to discuss it with you guys, and I just want to say that I thought this match was a masterful bit of storytelling, and I think both of these guys are future stars. And I was so impressed with Velveteen Dream. Um, this is almost two ways to answer this. Do I think one of them will be in the Rumble because they typically have an NXT person in the Rumble the last few years? You know, whether it's been Bo Dallas, Rusev, Ty Dillinger, on and on and on. Yes, I don't think that both, though, will be called up right after, and I don't think that both will. I think it's still early. I think Black would will get called up sooner, while I believe Dream has more long-term potential. But I think that both could use a run as NXT champion feuding in NXT and they could be equally, along with the Undisputed Era, could be the face of NXT for the next 18 months. I don't think you have to rush them just because they had a great match. Like, the TV ratings are what they are for Raw and SmackDown and they're pretty set in stone for the most part. Let NXT be unique and great. Let's not call everybody up as soon as they get good. So I said on that uh, Instant Analysis podcast that I thought Alistair Black would be in the Royal Rumble. So I'm glad this is the question. But now I'm kind of second guessing it because if you think about it, every single time they bring someone up for NXT to be in the Royal Rumble, not every single time, but a lot of times um, they either get out relatively quickly uh, and they don't always go directly to the main roster. I think if you're going to put Alistair Black in the Royal Rumble, if they were to do it, um, he would have to go to the main roster at that point because I don't know why he would go back there. He doesn't have to be 
NXT champion. Dream does. Velveteen Dream needs to be NXT champion for a long time. He's also, what is he, 22 BC? Yes. Like, he, he's great, and I love him, and I think he's going to be a future WWE champion. I said this on Sunday, but I don't think he's ready for the main roster, and all that, you know, you know has to t- be taken into account to be a real WWE superstar. So I'm going to say 50-50 chances, right? Because I think Black might be there. Um, and even if Dream is, I think he gets that really quick. And it's just kind of a, a hello to fans and a nice wave saying, hey, thanks for popping for this guy in NXT, but that's all we're going to give you. And that does it for our sliding into the DM portion of the show. Really appreciate everyone that chimed in again at in this. What's what's the uh, the podcast Twitter, Adam, in this at, corner, CBS at in this corner, CBS tweet us at in this corner, CBS slide into the DMs of Brian Campbell at B Campbell CBS. Uh, at Silverstein Adam and at the Costos, T-H-E-K-O-S-T-O-S. And reminder, follow me on Instagram at T-H-E-K-O-S-T-O-S. Now, we record this on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So instead of our regular feel spots, we're going to tell you what we're thankful for as it concerns the world of professional wrestling. I already went earlier in the show, and my thing is pro wrestling is an allegory for everyday life. I really honestly believe that every single thing that you do in your life can be traced back to principles involved in professional wrestling. So that's what I'm thankful for. How about you two, Brian Campbell, starting with you? You know, I, I, I'm thankful at the feeling I get after a great match that it's still, and look, that's why I'm still watching at age 39. Like, I love storylines. I love all that. But a great match that feels like a shoot that has momentum in in momentum changes and drama and I'm going to point to AJ Styles and Brock Lesnar as the perfect example from Sunday night ultimately above all else that's what keeps me a fan and keeps me coming back and I felt like we saw that in that one-off with Finn Balor and AJ Styles as well when you're excited about the potential of a match of two performers giving and selling and you know blood sweat and tears and putting it out there there's something humbling about that there's something emotionally charging there's a a real it 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 goes past your defenses right and it, and it gets you right in that field spot as we like to say but it still can can impregnate you in that regard and still get you that fired up and again that's why we watch it and we those two matches i just mentioned were two reminders of that and that's why i love nnjpw so much and the fact that high level theater in the ring yes the storyline is the is the icing on the cake around that that gets you there but to me the foundation of being moved by an athletic performance on that level still gets me and i think that's why i'm back in as a fan at this age you know like yeah i want my kids to be watching but the quality of matches today are so much better than when we were small. And maybe the storylines aren't on the level, and that's where the imbalance is at times. But the quality of the matches is incredible, and that's still what gets me juiced and jived up. Yeah, for me, mine's a little more specific. I'm pretty thankful for the NXT brand, and uh, it's simple why. Every single time we get a major pay-per-view, you know that the show on Saturday is going to set such a high bar that the show on Sunday is going to live up to it. It's not a question anymore. You don't wonder if NXT is going to be good. You know it's going to be good. And we're getting an opportunity that's never really happened before in WWE or in professional wrestling to see uh, performers and their characters develop at a stage that like, you just don't get. Like, Remember, we used to have vignettes that they would run for months to introduce a new character. They don't do that really anymore on WWE because you have the opportunity to go on WWE Network and see the backstory. They don't need to tell it to you anymore. It's there. Um, So for me, it's NXT. Uh, I'm thankful for that. And I'm also thankful, and this isn't to be sappy, but I'm thankful for this podcast because BC's been doing wrestling podcasts for a while. So he's been on an ESPN podcast and 
he's been guests everywhere else. And, you know, he's been doing this. He's been able to express his wrestling beliefs in a large part public form for a good amount of time. I don't think Nick has, and I know I have. So all the stuff that you're screaming to yourself, or I used to scream to myself on the couch, or I'd send a couple tweets, we now have the ability to do that in, to a national audience in many ways uh, in a long form, you know, piece of audio like this. So I'm thankful for being in this corner podcast. You should be too, and you should follow us on Twitter at, at in this corner CBS. Uh, I like that from the Silver King. Bry, how about how about our guy, the Silver King, getting emotional? That's what I'm dropping some brother love sound on that. This guy's Silver King opening up, uh, re- removing the black heart and bringing it for the love of the game, for the fans, for the show. Very well done. And I would like to add to everyone listening to this, and I think Silver King is going to post this on Wednesday as we record it. Hope everyone has a blessed Thanksgiving. Enjoy the time with your relatives, with your family. Eat a lot of food. Enjoy. Don't chase the ghost. Don't try and be healthy. Just enjoy. Ball out and make it a great Thanksgiving. So for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, I am handsome. Nick Costos, Brian Campbell, two words to take us into a holiday weekend. Goodbye. Good night. We out.